Let us pray. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So I'm going to get right to it this morning. The question today is, how do you see yourself? I suspect that many of us have trouble seeing ourselves realistically. Most of us, when we look in the mirror, can be quite critical. But I'm not just talking about how we see ourselves physically. More importantly, I'm talking about how do you see yourselves holistically as a person? Do you see yourself as someone who is strong and capable, valuable and precious? Or do you tend to see yourself as someone who is weak and limited, unwanted, unimportant? That's the question today's scripture is laying before us. So over the past couple of months, we've spent time looking at some of the great stories out of the book of Genesis. And today and next week, we're going to segue to the book of Exodus. Today, looking at the story of Moses in the burning bush. Now, most of you, I assume, know the back story that leads up to this. We know how Moses was an Israelite born to slave parents in Egypt. And through a roundabout set of circumstances, Moses ends up being the adopted, uh, being adopted by the daughter of Pharaoh and raised as a prince of Egypt, living in palatial quarters, having the best food and wearing the, the nicest clothing, power and prestige. Life was good for Moses, but he was also mindful of where he came from. But for the grace of God, he still might be living as a slave, a life of misery among the Israelites. So somewhere along the line, he developed this deep empathy for his people. And I imagine that he began to pray for God to work in some way here. And then one day, as we heard this morning, when he was out and about, he sees this Egyptian overlord mercilessly beating an Israelite slave. And in this fit of uncontrolled anger, Moses loses it. He rises up and he murders this Egyptian. And now he knows in Pharaoh's eyes, he's going to become public enemy number one. So he flees from Egypt for his life. And he goes out into the remotest corners of the wilderness. So now he who once lived in palaces now is living in tents herding sheep just to get by in a remote corner of the wilderness. Now think about this. What this means is everything had changed in Moses' life. Everything and everyone that was dear to him had now been lost. Imagine the emotions that he must have been experiencing, the loneliness, the despondency, the misery. What's happening in my life here? Why is God letting this happen in my life? But irony of ironies, it's then when he is at his lowest point in his life that he has this amazing experience. Exodus 3.2, Moses looked and this bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. 
Somehow this bush was being transformed by divine energy, the power of God. In Exodus 3-4, God calls out to Moses through this burning bush, instructing Moses to remove the sandals from his feet, for the place he is standing is holy ground. I, and then he says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, your ancestors. And right here, I think we come to the first great lesson about Moses' experience with this burning bush. Think about this. Moses, when we encounter him in this story this morning, had reached the lowest point in his life. Everything was falling apart. He felt utterly God forsaken, and yet this was precisely the time when he encountered God in his life like never before. And that's our first key lesson, I think. God goes with us into our misery. You are never alone. It's one of the great ironies that I have, I have seen in life. It's that when we think we're the most God forsaken, it's often right then that God is most near to us, if we would just open our eyes. A few weeks ago, I went for a hike down to the old forest where I grew up with my best friends uh, in my old neighborhood in Avon. And my friends Dave and Kevin and I, we geared up and we went down to uh, explore the old creek where we used to blow things up and, and do all kinds of crazy things. We got to say hello to the crawdads whose great, 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 great grandparents we had probably tortured and played with. We climbed in the hollow tree and we found the nails that we had put in there to build our fort. It was almost like time travel to me, to all of us. And then I thought of all the things that I had gone through in my life to get where I am right now in my life. And it occurred to me, it's only because God has been with me every step of the way. In my times of greatest struggle, I have felt God with me. God's love, God's presence, God's grace when I needed it, God's strength, God's peace. Where would my life be without that? Every step of the way, you may say to me, well, you know, that's good for you, John. I wish I could feel that way. You know, at home, you've, mentioned, you've probably heard me mention that we have a couple of cats. One of the, the oldest cat it, we have is named Nathan. And he's getting up there in years. And about a year ago, a little over a year ago, we noticed that he started over-grooming himself. So he had these like big bald patches all over his body. And he also started throwing up his food. I know it's gross, sorry. But also, oddly, his tail just kind of started drooping in this funny way. And, you know, when Nathan has a bad day, he lets you know about it. He has these loud wailing moans and he wanders aimlessly through, his, through the house. And then trying to help him out, it's, it's really hard because they can't tell you what's going on, can they? I thought, well, maybe he's allergic to something. So we looked at the food we were feeding him. I noticed that some cat food is grain-free, so we tried that, and we started feeding him grain-free kibble, and he almost immediately stopped over-grooming, 
stopped throwing up. He's doing a lot better. He's still old. He still has his bad days, and he lets us know. And I can tell when he's having those bad days by the way he walks around, by the look in his eyes. Those days, he needs a little extra love. And you know what I think, friends? If that's how I feel about a cat, then I'm up here today to remind you that according to Jesus, that is the way that God feels about us. Matthew 10, 29, Jesus says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them, not one sparrow, will fall to the ground apart from your heavenly Father. So I tell you, do not be afraid, for you are of value, more value than many sparrows. Back in Jesus' culture, sparrows were considered the least of the birds, to the point that some rabbis actually taught that it was a sin to pray to God, to say a prayer to God, to help a sparrow in trouble, because they didn't matter. That was an inconsequential prayer. But then along comes Jesus and says, no, 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 far from that. Not even the lowliest sparrow dies, falls and dies without the compassionate presence of God, the God of the cosmos hovering in that place. Wherever life takes you, even the remote darkness of the wilderness, you will never be alone. The compassionate presence of the God of grace will be with you. The psalm we read, 139.7, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? And here's the old King James translation, which I think packs a little more powerful punch. If I ascend to heaven, you are there. Well, that's no big surprise, the God's in heaven. But if I make my bed in hell, it's the old translation, even there you are with me. Wherever life has taken you, even if it feels like hell, I want you to be encouraged that you are wrapped in the arms of everlasting love from the cradle to the grave. As the psalmist goes on to say in Psalm 139, when I come to the end, you are still with me. Now, the older I get, the more that verse means to me. When I come to the end, you are still with me. When you come to the end of a treasured relationship, when you come to the end of a beloved job, when the, you come to the end of your sanity because life is so stressful, on that day you draw your last breath, the presence of God will not leave you even then. You will never be alone. That's the first critical lesson Moses learned at the burning bush. God has not left him. But the story doesn't end there. God has something to say to Moses. Verse 7, out of the burning bush, the Lord says to Moses, I've observed the misery of my people in Egypt. I've come down to deliver them from the hand of the Egyptians. Now, on hearing that, I think Moses probably was ecstatic. I'm sure he had prayed for, from an early age for the deliverance of his people. And now here is God saying, I'm going to answer your prayer, Moses. Moses must have been ecstatic about that until he heard the next line that God said. So I will send you to confront Pharaoh, the same Pharaoh who wanted him dead. So Moses' response here is, whoa, wait a minute. His actual words in verse 11, who am I 
that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. And this brings us to our second key lesson from Moses at the burning bush. The first key lesson is that God is with you anywhere you ever go, even at your lowest point. That's uplifting. We love to hear that. We would love to live our faith right there in the middle of lesson one and never have to progress beyond that. We would love it if we could live a passive, dependent faith where God does everything for us. They're there. Daddy will take care of it. Mommy will take care of it. But that's not how a good parent responds. A good parent wants that their child to discover his or her strength within them. Yes, a good parent is going to be encouraging, supportive, offering resources to a child, especially in times of need. That's, that is lesson number one. But lesson number two, a good parent knows their child needs to flex their muscles, to draw on their own strength to know that they are fully alive. So we say, God, please fix this. And God says, I will. I'll fix it through you. That's the second key lesson. God wants to work through you in surprising ways. In other words, this invites us to the realization that there is more power and capability in you than you realize. God sees you as a champion, and God wants to partner with you like he did with Moses to do great things. But you have to claim that, and you have to know that within yourself. You know, I say, I pray, God, please help the people around this community of Greencastle that are hurting, the people who are drug addicted, the people who are lost, the people who are in terrible relationships. God, please see to it that they are cared for. And God says, I will, and I'll do it through you. So go ahead, let them cry in your office. Let, hold their hands, hug their children at the non-food pantry. And sometimes I'll be blunt with you. I get to thinking, but God, sometimes there's bad odors. And sometimes they seem really sick and I don't want to get sick. And sometimes I don't feel like I can help them because what do I have to say to the chaos that some of them are living in? And you know what I hear God say to me when I feel that way? Every single time I feel that way. You know what I hear God say back to me? Suck it up, John. <laughs> Love does what it has to do. You can do this. And guess what? I can do it. You can do it. I find great meaning in doing it. I say, God, please provide for the people who are really battling with health issues in this parish. And God says, I will. And I'll do it through you. So you're going to have to get over how uncomfortable their pain may make you feel. And sometimes I say, but God, there's so much pain to face in people's lives. What am I going to be able to say in the face of that pain? And God says, suck it up. Love does what it has to do. You can do this. And guess what? We can do it. Every morning we wake up, we get to choose how we see ourselves is what I'm saying here, just like Moses did. When I get up in the morning, I can choose my, to see myself as 
as the fearful, intimidated boy who wanted to hide himself from people for years on end. Or I can wake up and see myself as a champion who not only is proud of who he is, but also can make a difference in the lives of hurting people. That's what we're talking about this morning. Do I choose to see myself the way God sees me? The way God saw Moses as a champion. Marianne Williams puts it this way. Our deepest fear is not that we're inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It's our light, not our darkness, that frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant? Who am I to be gorgeous and talented and famous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Playing small doesn't serve the world. We are all meant to shine as children do. We are we're born to ma make manifest the glory of God within us. Stop thinking of yourself as a weakling and see yourself as God sees you. Make the choice to see yourself as a champion. But Moses was hesitant. He was hesitant until he heard the last thing that God says in Exodus 3.11. When Moses said, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God says, I will be with you. And that really takes us all the way back to where we started today. But it adds a deeper level, I think. When God says, I am with you, it doesn't just mean that God will be there to comfort you and to encourage you and to sustain you. It also means that God's power will be with you. That's what Moses was about to discover when he returned to Egypt, that God could use him to do things he never even dreamt he could do. And that's our third and final lesson this morning. God's power is within you. Let me close with this true story. Dill Ronald was concerned. She was concerned about a colleague in her real estate office who had broken her back in two places, had been hospitalized for months, and nothing was working to heal her back. Throughout this period, Dill kept feeling the sense that she was supposed to go to the hospital, lay hands on, and pray for Colleen, her coworker. Now, as an Episcopalian, she had never seen herself as the kind of person who would ever do that kind of thing. It was well beyond her comfort zone. I mean, that's the kind of thing that evangelicals, or we used to call them holy rollers, do, right? And she didn't see herself in that way. But that sense that she was supposed to go was so strong that she finally did go to the hospital. She was vis visiting with Colleen. She said, I talked to her about everything under the sun, avoiding the real reason I came to talk to her. But finally, she says, I summoned the courage to say, Colleen, before I leave, would you like me to lay hands on you and pray for you? Yes, Colleen said. So as awkward as it felt for Dill, she laid her hands on her friend and prayed. She said, I didn't see fireworks. I didn't feel divine energy flowing through my hands into Colleen or anything like that. It was just a normal prayer. I said goodbye, and then I left. Three weeks later, the doorbell rings. Dill goes to open the door, and it's Colleen standing there, stunned. Dill asked, what happened? 
Colleen said, the day after you visited, they took me for some further imaging, and it showed where the breaks were, and they began to heal. Friends, I think faith is the stubborn refusal to believe that we are alone. I think faith is the stubborn belief that God can and will work through you in amazing ways. Faith is the stubborn conviction that God's power is with us wherever we go. So cultivate that awareness. Think to yourself, God, you are somewhere in this difficult situation, and I'm going to find you. Cultivate that awareness and then live that awareness, attempting great things for God. You can do this. There is a champion within you. See yourself the way God does and know that you will never, ever be alone. Thanks be to God. Amen.